0: But anyway, those are promising songs that uh, you just sang there because that's what we we look to uh, being lifted out of here one of these days into uh, glory, right? Of course, Romans 8, that's what it's pointing to, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And as Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans from Corinth, when you really start thinking about it, there wasn't too much longer after that that persecution really happened to the Roman Christians. Now, neither Paul nor the Roman Christians the church there in Rome knew how soon that this was going to be. But it was probably written in 57, 58 A.D. Uh, within a decade, that church, people in it, had had to have heard some of this letter. At least some of them were brutally slaughtered they lived that long, you know, to that time in the Roman amphitheaters, there were uh, some faced quite a terrible dilemma. That dilemma is, well, if I don't confess Jesus as Lord, I can escape out of this deal. Mm -hmm. But if I confess Him as Lord, I'm going to die. Now, that's the situation that it was in. and, And Paul's writing this letter, not really knowing that this time would come up, but knowing that it could very well do it. And uh, so these people, most of them, if they're they're believers, they were not going to deny their Lord. So a lot of them were tortured to death. Uh, Well, that's basically how they died. They were tortured to death. Some of them uh, were put in skins of beasts and wild dogs. That's really what most dogs were. They were all wild. And uh, they would uh, be torn by dogs. And they perished that way. Uh, Other ways that they would die, of course, would be by crucifixions. We know about those. We know that story. And others were uh, just burned in flames as uh, tar was put all over them and just set ablaze where they would have a night show for the uh, uh, Nero and uh, all the party that he would have uh, in the evenings, nice summer evening, and people would be torched to death. Now, realizing that Paul possibly uh, is writing this in, in the sense of knowing that, hey, this could happen, uh, this this is very well going to happen, maybe, you know. But he doesn't really know that at the time. But these people could lean upon some of these things when the persecution started happening. And when you look at Romans 8, it had to really mean a lot. There's promises here that are incredible, aren't they? As we've been looking at these for the past three weeks. And encouragement here for Christians. These people would face horrible persecution that's going to be coming their way. Nothing, absolutely nothing, could separate them from the love of God, though, no matter how bad it was that they were going to go through. And so this last paragraph that we're covering in this great chapter, I think, imprints indelibly on the minds of the readers of of this great jewel of uh, a great book of Romans and then Romans 8 you have this and then you have this at the end I think the comfort there is supreme and I'm sure that they would claim this writing here in Romans 8 when things really got tough because we've already seen glorification mentioned uh, quite frequently and uh, uh, he's pointing to the fact that we are secure in Christ all the way up to the point that he comes back or we die now these last nine verses of this chapter uh, we're, we're probably all familiar with, You've probably read them many times, and they're probably very dear to you. I mean, this is, it's breathless sometimes, because it's like a soaring pinnacle of revelation that God has given us. He didn't have to give us all this information of what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, you know, it's been called a, a hymn of assurance these last nine verses you could sing it it could be sung As a matter of fact maybe they did sing it mm. uh, it's a triumph song some people say uh, or another one is this I like this I like this the highest plateau in the whole of divine revelation I mean it's way up here and uh, with all this said in human language it's still too weak you can't have enough words to color this out to make it what it really is. But the more you read it, the more you really want to claim it, right? And so we uh, we just stagger over this, this great um, last part of it. Uh, it's a mountaintop paragraph. And I think somebody said, it's the Mount Everest of the whole epistle. It's the highest peak in the Himalayan range. <laughs> I mean, how far do you take this up? You know, we're building this up and building it up. And uh, what we're going to try to do tonight is just try to get some morsels out of this. Something that can really mean something to us and something maybe that we haven't thought about before or something that reminds us and really gives us comfort and encouragement. Even though as we live out through uh, the weekdays, sometimes we, uh, in our battles we get... uh, knocks down I guess you can say sometimes we get wounded we get scarred uh, but as we come to this close of this study of Romans 8 I say what a blessing it has been as I've been able to brush up on it and then read and study it more it's been a blessing to me um, in seeing what God has For us through His Word. It's just unbelievable. We're climbing up to the highest of heights and we get to gaze down upon these supernatural promises and these truths from God. And so I say, what a way to close up this year's springing forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh, and God does it. It's it's not me. (laughs) He's one that wrote it. The Holy Spirit inspires it. Paul penned it down. But uh, this springing forward has almost led us right into summertime. You know it? And uh, so uh, this, uh, this is uh, very fitting for that. There are really about, what you can say, there, you can say there's more, but it's boiled down to really five major questions that we're going to look at tonight here in this closing paragraph. And I'm actually titling this Five Unanswerable Questions. They're answerable, but really they, when you throw it out to all the enemies, they really have no answer for it. They they can't really answer it. Um, John Stott is the one who wrote a book covering Romans 5 through 8. And when he got to Romans 8, of course where we were at last week was dealing with the five uh, links in the golden chain, right? And he called that, I believe, the five undeniable affirmations. So as soon as he got finished with that in 28 through 30, then from 31 to 39, he called it now the five unanswerable questions. The five undeniable affirmations were affirmed and now these questions that the enemy can't even answer whatsoever. Uh, And I think the Stoddard voice said this. I thought it was pretty good. The Apostle hurls these questions out into space as it were defiantly challenging any creature in heaven, earth, or in hell to actually uh, deny the truth that Paul is proclaiming here. Is there anybody that can deny these truths here? But there's no answer. For nobody, nothing can harm the redeemed people of God. Nothing can harm us whatsoever spiritually here. Uh, so these questions make up this mountaintop paragraph as Romans 8 finishes. Uh, this chapter is just uh, amazing. And what we've done is just touch, barely touch on, on some things, you know, what's here. Uh, it's quite staggering. The first question that he will ask is uh, found in verse 31. There is a question before that, but it's really leading into the rest of them. I'll just read this uh, section, this paragraph on through. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And who will separate us from the love of Christ? Or tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank You for this precious Word. This is incredibly deep stuff, but yet it's so simple. And we see that You have us and You love us. You have loved us going back from eternity. And You will hold us all the way through this life that we walk in. And we thank You that we have such a precious promise as this right here. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, verse 31 uh, starts off, What then shall we say to these things? What do we say? To what has already been stated, he just did the the golden chain. (laughs) You know, after uh, like uh, pre uh, or foreknowing us and predestining us and calling us and justifying us and glorifying us, then he comes up to this and he says, "What are you going to say to these things?" It's like, uh, "Hey, whatever what I've already dealt with." The focus here is really on what God has done, how secure we are, and where He's put us. The atonement um, has taken care of everything. All of those who believe in Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure. And if anybody ever doubted salvation, if they trusted in Christ's sacrifice, well, this chapter is one to really bring them to. Now, the next... The, the question is, there's like seven questions, but there's five real key ones here. These are the ones that obviously um, the answer is no or no one, whatever, to every one of these. Um, he says, if God is for us, who's against us? If God is for us, he's already put that forth, hasn't he? <laughs> he sent his own son to die for us, and he's going to keep reminding us of that. I mean, the gospel is all the way throughout here. The word if uh, might be better to, uh, to be put, rather than putting that if there, it could be translated since. Since God is for us, who is against us? And some of your translations might have if. It, it. Uh, it, you know, it's still saying the same thing. But, or you could say because. Because God is for us. He's for it. Who can be against us? Now, we realize that we have enemies. We say, well, yeah, there's a lot of things against us. We know that. The world, the flesh, and the devil. God is for me. But yet, in this sense, it's like, really, who is against us? They say they're against us, and they don't believe the same thing that we have, uh, the enemy, the the world, and such. Uh, But they can't do anything to us. You know, There's nothing that can be done, and that's kind of the idea. God is for me. You say, well, how can I be certain about it? I know He's a God of love. I know that. I'll commence with that. You don't have to tell me about that. I believe He's a God of love. Matter of fact, I believe He loves everybody else in the church, but how can I know if He really loves me? And somebody might say, you know, my wife left me. Or my wife died. My husband died. My husband left me. And, um, I have cancer. Or my little baby has a disease, you know, and, and, and you think of thousands of different things, you can say, I'm not so sure God really loves me. And we know we can have all sorts of different things come up against us, but what we have to turn to always is going to be objective truth. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the way the circumstance is, and here's how we feel, and it's okay to feel like, hey, this is a hard circumstance, but he's already done a Romans 8.28. He's already promised that all these things, no matter what, can uh, will work out for good. We're guaranteed. Um, so we have to sometimes set those emotions aside or at least put them in their place. Go to objective truth. And, uh, of course, if we're counseling, we have to pick the right time to be able to do that. We don't always flip out our Romans 8.28 on them, you know, we just show, hey, we care, you know, and and we're just, we're we're there for them. But yet, when the time comes, it's great to be able to then turn to that. Um, Many things can be against us. But what God has already foreknown and predetermined and all that, you know, you can put all those enemies and put them up on a, a scale. You know those old balance scales? You even see them in the... like meaning for the justice system as a symbol of that, right? And So anyway, you have this balance uh, on the scale and so you, you start putting all the things that can be against us on this one side. Boy, it feels like it's weighting it down. Now imagine those as being peanuts that you're stacking on there, man. You've got a lot of peanuts on there, right? Now, on the other side... You bring this great big oh, what is it? I was going to say an anvil, but let's go a little bit bigger, Dennis. You have those great big uh, kettlebell. uh, kettlebells. That's it. You know what it was already. I bet you, you guys know about his kettlebells, know? I'm sure you can use those in an illustration somehow. <laughs> <laughs> if you, you heard that? That the biggest kettlebell he has is a 50 pounds. Let's put that 50-pound kettlebell on there. And this thing goes down. What happens to peanuts? They go up. And where else do they go? They're just flying all over the place now. That's what it is when all those things that are against us, they're not really against us. Because God's got it covered. And so that's why he says, nothing can really be against us here. Because look, this is, this is not a contest. There's no contest. This is peanuts. Who can stand against us? Really? Yeah, really? Who can? Nobody. Matter of fact, we already saw in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation. Who can take that no condemnation status away from us? Nobody, right? Anyone stronger than the creator of the universe? Uh, Oh, Go to Psalm 27.1. Psalm 27, verse 1. Nice little promise here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Boy, does that ever make sense! When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. <laughs> oh, that's a great promise there from uh, David, who wrote that psalm. Matter of fact, I think in the church this morning, we, we read this psalm 27, and, uh, verse 1 and 2. And that's a psalm a of trusting in God, just being fearless. Because we know that. Nothing is really against us. They, they think they are. They're not doing very good. If you're in Psalm, go all the way back to chapter 3, verse 6. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. They're against me, but uh, they're not going to accomplish anything. Ten thousands of people I'm not even afraid of. And then we go to Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verse 2 and 3. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. Have you ever used that verse before? I bet somebody has, right? drop down to verse 9 then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call this I know that God is for me that sounds like the Romans 8 doesn't it? God is for me hey they're trying to mount up against me but they really are not going to do it in God verse 11 I have put my trust I shall not be afraid what can man do to me? what's the worst thing that he can really do? He could take your life. But we only graduate into heaven and we fly away. I mean, isn't that old? That's right. So, we, we, we cannot lose. We, I mean, it's impossible to lose in this situation being a Christian. If anyone could say that... Okay. There's got to be some way that you could lose salvation. Well, the only one who could take it away would be the Lord, but He's a God who can't lie, and He's made the promises, so He can't even do it either. He would be the one powerful enough to take it. He gave it, He could take it, but no, He can't. It, it never says that He would take away our salvation. God is for us. God is for us. So, each question that we're going to look at is unanswerable and it's grounded upon undeniable truth, these promises that we look at, and this truth is that God has given us His Son. As um, as He says here, if God is for us, who is against us. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us to all things? What does what God telling us in this this next question. How will He not also give us all things? That's the next question, isn't it? How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Well, this is God's action. It's God doing this, isn't it? God is doing this. God has done it. Let's go to that all famous... Since we're all in the day, we might as well do another famous... Elite chapter called Isaiah fifty three, <laughs> and we look in Isaiah fifty three. Of course, that's the suffering servant, that's the Messiah, seven hundred years before the time of Christ, and uh, gives us prophecies of of Christ. In verse four through six, surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows He carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. The Lord caused that to happen. The iniquity that we had to fall on Him. Mm, God did it. Did you know that God was responsible for His own Son's death? We know that He killed Him. Well, we know the Jews killed him. We know the Romans killed him. We know that we killed him. But ultimately, God the Father killed him. We saw that in Isaiah 53. Octavius Winslow, he comes up with some really good quotes. He asked this question. Who killed Jesus? And then he came back and answered He says it wasn't Judas out of greed, and it wasn't the Jews out of envy, but... It was his father out of love. The father did it because of love. Now this is the same love that's directed towards us. That he kills his son. Well, it's the gospel. The father killed him. It was the father who put him to death. ultimately. That was uh, the will was done. It's because of God's love for us. We know God is for us because we look back at the cross. And to, to do the ultimate uh, to do that so he says he, he didn't spare his own son verse 32 right before that question is asked he says he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all we're seeing the action of God here he didn't spare his own son he delivered him over for us all we know Judas was responsible for that the Jews were they delivered him up but you know God did not spare him he refused to spare his own son because of us. Kind of reminds you of Abraham and Isaac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thought there, and of course, we know... Well, turn back to Genesis 22. Be safe in, in reading that. This is the sacrifice that Abraham was told to do of his son, picturing what God was going to do with his son. And in Genesis twenty two, sixteen and seventeen, and uh verse fifteen, then the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. <laughs> Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And of course, we know that he lets him go. He was not going to spare his own son, Abraham, was going to do what God said, but of course, um, God stepped in and and, uh, actually did spare Isaac, but not his own son. You guys remember this song? And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it mm-hmm. in. How great thou art, right? Yeah. Kind of take it from there. The Father couldn't spare Him. Now this was settled before the foundation of the world. That was done. Then. He handed Him over two sinners in time, though. He handed His own Son two sinners, four sinners like us he delivered up Jesus for us he delivered him up this is God the father doing this he took this action to do it now there was a separation of the son from the father when this happened when this this uh, death was happening when the sin was on uh, we know that he says, my father my father uh, uh, what uh, you have forsaken me right And this is the measure of the love of God. Matter of fact, I think it goes beyond measure. We we can't measure this, can we? uh, But that is the the standard, what God did. We we can never imagine all that. Then He he says this, How will He not also with Him freely give us all things? Since He gave His Son, which is the ultimate, why wouldn't He be able to give up everything Because Christ is everything. And why wouldn't He freely give us all things? Freely. It doesn't mean necessarily material things. He does give us those. We have plenty of those. Uh, But it goes on to more things. I think in Romans 8.28, all things there, right? That's all good things, indifferent things, bad things, whatever. All things. But I think it even extends even more than that. And I can think of Ephesians chapter 1 where it says He has given us all spiritual blessings. And even right now, everything pertaining to the life of God in us, we have. But then Romans 8 has already said we will inherit. Uh, we are co-inheritors with Jesus Christ. We inherit everything that He has. Incredible thing. Freely give to bestow graciously is the idea. Out of grace. And this carries the idea of maybe even forgiveness. But it's freely bestowed. Many other verses, but it's also dealing with every spiritual blessing here. So the cross is central. When when we look at how we are eternally saved, he says... He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? Boy, the gospel is is all over this Romans eight here. Um, so in God we have a benefactor, one who gives us freely, gives us all things. So, quite the benefactor. Matter of fact, in that uh, in that other one that we uh, just, just dealt with, we uh, the first question: is, in God we have a champion. Here we in God we have one who freely gives or is a benefactor, and the cross is always uh, right in the middle of all this. First importance, isn't it? But well, what's the third question? Easy to outline tonight, isn't it? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Paul is just mounting this up, making it bigger and bigger, stacking it up here, and nobody really can give this answer. What's the truth in this third question? Well, it is that God justified us. The judge has acquitted us, therefore there is now no condemnation. Who can bring a charge against us? I mean, after it's already been done and our sin was taken to the cross. Well, what can happen here is where the enemy comes in, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's say our conscience accuse us sometimes of some sin that we've done. And that can be good. And of course, the Holy Spirit convicts us and such. But that's all for the good, isn't it? But sometimes we like to make ourselves out to be a little bit better than what we actually are. You know, we build ourselves up and, you know, we overestimate ourselves. And uh, But, you know, really we know our own thoughts. And when we really get into God's Word, His Holy Spirit starts convicting us. Um, yeah, we can start seeing failures here. We can see our sin here. It can cripple us, though. And sometimes it can drain us. And sometimes it just knocks us down. And He doesn't want us to be there either, does He? He wants us to have a short account. Of our sins. That means to go right to Him, confess it, move on, right? Uh, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on towards that goal, Mark, Jesus Christ. That's our goal. So, you know, every day can bring some failures in our lives up to us, you know, our, our own sin or whatever, and, and we make out more than what it really is. Um, Pilgrim's Progress. You have Christian there. And Christian's walking along, and he has an encounter with a Polyon. Remember a Polyon? Polyon is, of course, a symbol of who? Satan, right? And of course, we have these. We've had these battles before. Whenever maybe he might insinuate that uh, you've been unfaithful, and uh, he starts feeling kind of bad about that. Well, Christian, at this time, has kind of failed to keep his promise of discipleship. Well, we been, you know, been faithful as he should have been. And so Christian replied with this. And Apollyon just said, you were unfaithful. He said, all this is true. And much more have you left out. <laughs> but the prince who I serve and honor is merciful and ready to forgive. Besides, this sin possessed uh, me in your own country. I have grown under them and now have obtained pardon from my prince. I obtained pardon from my prince. It already happened. And yes, you are condemning me or you're putting a charge against me and you're right. Matter of fact, you're leaving out a whole bunch of stuff. But I want to tell you, it's already been taken care of. My prince did that. You know, this is gospel-centered. I mean, this this focus here in Romans 8, this is insightful. This is pastoral. Pastoral has to bring in the fact that we are needing encouragement. We need comfort. We have a battle. We have a struggle. And uh, thank You, Lord, that we have this. This gospel. If If the salvation that I have depends upon my consistency... <laughs> I'm not going to make it. Matter of fact, I don't know if I'll make it through tomorrow. I don't know. But if my sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and they are, take care of it. It's done. Uh, The accuser. How about uh, Revelation 12, verse 10? The old accuser. Our conscience can get to us. We can be convicted with our sin. Satan is accusing us, and man, we are overwhelmed sometimes. But what does Revelation 12.10 say for us? Where can we get some real truth here that will help us out? Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God. Boy, don't you like that? The power, salvation, kingdom of who? Not just God, but who's God? Our, our God. Yeah. Yeah and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame Him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Ooh, that's great. There we have the accuser. He accuses day and night. I mean, whenever he gets the opportunity, man, he wants to just try to destroy us, doesn't he? He'll come to us and say, look what you did here. (laughs) Boy, you really goofed up now. And it's not based on our performance, and I am so thankful. Sinclair Ferguson, talking about Satan accusing. And this, this is like Satan talking to you here. Or you can hear some kind of a... Voice that's not audible, but it's like this: God is really not for you. Man, if I had a sound effects or something, would we do Satan's going. God, he it, it probably doesn't really. quite God is really not for you. How can you believe He is when you look around you and you see what is happening in your life? Look at you. Look what's happening. You say you are forgiven. But there is a judgment day. How will you defend yourself then? How can God love you now? Maybe before He did when you were doing good things, but not now. You were doing all those good things, but hey, God's not going to defend you now. The enemy is asking that. That's what Sinclair Ferguson pictured out there. Kind of helpful to think, saying, you know, sounds kind of familiar. I've had that happen before. Justification is grounded on the acceptance of God. He accepts us and the Beloved. Justification is the very hinge upon which salvation, the whole door of salvation swings. Calvin said something like that, didn't he? Justification. God is the one who decides who is righteous before him. And he tells those people who they are. He's told us. Luther, before he became converted, he really wrestled with a, a judging God. Haley, because he knew he was right. Luther knew he was wrong. He says, how can I stand before a God in the day of judgment? And I think that's a fair question that everybody ought to ask. That was a question that got him. How can I stand before His holiness? He knew enough about a holy God that He couldn't stand there. No way. So I think everybody should tremble when they think of this if they don't have any righteousness. If they bring their own righteousness. But when we are justified, then we are clothed with the righteous clothes and we stand before Him in full righteousness and of course we know Luther with this view of what justification was this sparked the whole reformation and things started clicking again and people were brought to the word. they saw the freedom and what grace does and uh, we are people who have been blessed to borrow from those things that really are biblical here Uh, the work of Jesus Christ He died for sinners. And His righteousness was imputed to us, counted uh, to us as righteousness. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, No one can lay any charge against me because I am arrayed in His righteousness. You, My sins can never be brought against Him. So as he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? By the way, we saw... In Romans eight, in the in the golden chain, who the elect are, the ones who have been elected, are born on and predestined. Those are the ones that will be called, and the ones those ones who are called that way will be justified and be able to stand before a holy God, and then in, in turn will be glorified. Uh, there was a writer, Augustus To and I'm going to ask Dennis. I have never known how to pronounce this man's name did you ever find out how to do it No. I've always seen it as spelled out as top lady he's a writer of hymns but he's quoted quite often but I've never really known how to pronounce it I've heard people pronounce it but it's always different ways but I don't think top lady is right I think it's to, to plotting how about that I don't I've always heard August top lady. Okay, you've heard a top lady. Okay, well let's say top lady tonight, right? Okay. It's always kind of, you think it's a lady. Yeah. it's August. But I think it's August. Right, Augustus, yeah. He wrote this, Payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. The debt has been paid. The sins cannot be punished again. Right? That means if Jesus paid for my sin, Jesus paid it all... Mm -hmm. Right, He paid it all. It's all been done. Then how can He demand for me to do something later? And if that be the case, it's already been paid, but now He wants the payment from you too. That's called double jeopardy. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't operate on that principle. So an Arminian thought will give you that kind of situation. It's double jeopardy. Yeah, Jesus paid for the sins, but now it's up to you. You have to do something. You have to work or you have to have faith or you have to do something. Faith is important. It plays a key role but God, of course, grants that. So anyway, in God we have a judge and uh, He's judged our sins. Who will bring a charge against God? Can you imagine? <laughs> None of our enemies really can. They don't have anything to bring them. They try but it's It's worthless. God is the one who justifies. So there's our judge. He's the one who justifies. Justification. Now, the next one. Who is the one who condemns? Who can condemn us? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. God declares that. He says it. And so far, what we've seen is that God the Father has done it all. Well, after he has this question here, who is the one who condemns? Then it says, Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Man, that's a verse that is just pregnant with amazing theology there and great promise, isn't it? Uh, Jesus Christ died rose again the gospel is all right there and then he is hes the king and right now he's interceding for us there's a lot there in just a few words it's amazing that he revealed that how can all these truths be brought out in just a short little compact area this Romans 8 has so much to it what if you were on a desert island and you had nothing else but somebody says well you can choose one chapter out of the Bible could be this one sure has a lot of stuff you might have another favorite one and that's okay too (laughs) but there sure is a lot here God is working God we see is the one who chooses us predestines calls justifies glorifies God's doing that Uh, you know in the first three questions we've seen that Uh, he's mentioned Christ uh, but it was the father who gave up the son and now we turn around the approach kind of changes here, because it says Jesus is He who died. Yes, he, he arose and such. Christ and His work now is brought forth and brought forward, as we see the sun here. Uh, Paul is speaking of the ground of justification, and he offers four reasons. Uh, Easy to outline that verse there: death, resurrection, um, uh, what is it? Ascension and intercession right Christ's death why keep bringing this up we've just seen this over and over and over well it's part of the gospel and we always have to be reminded of the gospel do you preach the gospel to yourself every day because if you know it you'll start preaching a man centered gospel but the gospel of grace that is found in Scripture needs to be spoke all the time. What he did, and so it's just—it almost sounds like he's saying something that he's already said before. And you know what? We can't hear enough of it, Can We, we can. Uh, we need to keep hearing that he took our place. He took our place. It's already happened. He took our place. He took our sin. He bears the punishment, and God put that punishment on him as he took our place. And so, you know what? That's the only condemnation that we'll ever know. We don't... We're not awaiting any kind of condemnation or something over our heads. The condemnation that you'll ever experience is just taken for the fact of what happened at the cross. And that was done there. Condemned. The sin was condemned. But so is Okay, you don't understand, Dennis. I really did a real bad sin. I mean, it was... It, it's horrible. Well... Did Jesus die for all your sins or not? <laughs> did He die for them all or not? Or was there one that He didn't die for? If that be the case, everybody's in trouble. <laughs> right? Okay, the resurrection. We can be assured on the basis that Jesus, who died, also arose. And of course, we have uh, proof that. The resurrection did that. Look in Romans four twenty-five. Same book here. Let's go back a few pages. Verse 25, He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. If He was raised because we are going to be justified, the price is paid, the Son offered the full satisfaction, God the Father has propitiated for all what His holiness and the law demands, then how can any of us ever be condemned? This is the gospel of grace, isn't it? It's all going back to Him. If it's any of our performance that helps that out, we'll never make it. Yeah, we'll, we'll be condemned. <laughs> we, we can. But who is the one who condemns? I like what R.A. Torrey said about this this verse. About the cross. Look at this. He said this. I look at the cross of Christ. And I know that atonement has been made for my sins. So he starts with the cross, and he says, Okay, that's where it is. That's where atonement is made for my sins. He says, Then I look at the open sepulchre and the risen and ascended Lord, and I know that the atonement has been accepted. First of all, the atonement has been made for my sins. But then when you see that open tomb and the ascended Lord, we know that He's been accepted by what He did. And then Tori says, there's no longer remaining a single sin on me. I mean, when when he says it's all wiped out, it's all wiped out. said, we know this. This is the gospel. I know, but we can't hear it enough, can we? In the light of the resurrection, the atonement that covers them is as high as heaven. My sins may have a, be as deep uh, as the ocean, but in the light of the resurrection, the atonement swallows them up. As deep as uh, eternity is. That's how Tory termed that. Who could possibly condemn us If Jesus rose from the dead to prove that we are justified, what is the proof of our justification? The resurrection. That's why resurrection is so important to us, isn't it? Okay, the ascension. Jesus was glorified. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. He is the King. He's sitting there. The work is finished. John 17, 4 and 5 speaks of His glory. He's saying, Father... Give me the glory that I once had. I glorified You on the earth, having accomplished the work which You have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with Yourself with the glory which I had with You before the world was. He's resurrected. That wasn't it. That wasn't all over. He ascended went to the Father. He was enthroned. The work is finished. Ascension Day. The priest has done his work. Mm He sat down at the right hand. Of course, Philippians 2, 8, and 9 talks about Him being Lord. The man, God, is the one who is Lord. And then he says, He intercedes for us. He not only died for us and then rose and ascended and He's sitting there But He's interceding for us right now. As we are here, right here today, right now, at this very moment. You might say, what? What did you say? I've been sleeping for 30 minutes, Lord. I haven't been hearing a thing of Your Word at all. But uh, what what did you just (laughs) say? He's interceding for you. (laughs) Isn't that great? We, we can, and of course we've seen the Holy Spirit where He intercedes for us. Where our prayers are so feeble, matter of fact, they don't, they're not, we're not even praying and He's interceding for us. And now we have the Son who intercedes for us. How can anything go wrong, ultimately? Boy, this is just amazing. He, intercedes. he continues to intercede. even You think, okay, it's, the work is done. Well, that's what He's doing now interceding. No one can condemn us since Jesus who died arose again and now he's interceding for us. Can anyone condemn us? And uh, of course we know in 1 John 1.9 we know about confessing sin there, right? And it leads us into the next Verse uh, um, well verse 10 and then to chapter 2 verse 1 my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin I don't want you to sin so I'm writing these things check this out and if anyone does sin by the way if you do sin what he's saying I know we're in the flesh you're going to sin but we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous wow he is interceding Isaiah fifty three twelve says that He interceded for the transgressors. Mm-hmm. Uh, might as well turn back to there. God can sure say it a lot better than I can. <laughs> no doubt. Verse 12, look at this. Therefore, and speaking of Christ, the Messiah, 700 years before He's going to die, therefore I will allot Him a portion with the great. He's going to be buried with the, the rich. And He'll divide the booty with the strong because He poured out Himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He wasn't a transgressor, but He was numbered with them. Yet He Himself bore the sin of many. He bore all that, and here we go. And interceded for the transgressors. Isaiah says the same thing. The New Testament says. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Paul wrote Romans. Mm-hmm. they always agree. They don't even know each other, but it's kind of like they do because they, you know, well, Paul knew Isaiah. <laughs> I guess they know each other now, don't they? Oh, it would be great to uh, be able to introduce ourselves to them. Well, folks, we've got um, one last section, but I promise it really needs to go by quick. Got eight minutes. Ready? We're going to fly through this, but it's the last question. last question who should separate us from the love of Christ this is it this is where everything finishes up in this great mountaintop James Montgomery Boy said like a mountain climber ascending a dangerous precipice behind his guide secured only by a rope the Christian walks through life secured by the stout cord of God's love don't you love that I've got to read that again. Can I do that? Like a mountain climber ascending a dangerous precipice behind his guide, secured only by a rope, the Christian walks through life secured by the stout cord of God's love. That's what we're hanging on to, by the way. It'll never rip, shred. We're on it. This chapter began with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. We'll never be separated from Him and His love. There are seven forces that are against us. These are threatening circumstances. These are like horrible words that could happen to Christians. And these are the things that happened to the Romans, happened to the church that Paul was writing to, right here. They probably didn't know it, and then maybe they did. They say, hey, this could happen, guys. And Paul writes these down. Paul probably didn't know what was going to be happening within that time. But he says this in verse 35. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? This is still good for us today, isn't it? And he starts off with Well tribulation. What's tribulation? It's philipsis. It means a pressing down, really mashing down. Big pressure. And it means to be squeezed. Hard pressure, pressing down upon us. It's like uh, it was also used for uh, threshing wheat. And you can imagine sometimes it feels like we are weak and we're being threshed. All that pres- pressure is put down on us like stalks of grain. That's how they get that out of there, you know. And uh, life can be hard. A child, a child can be abused. One can be deprived of a husband or a wife. There can be severe illness, and not even those things are going to separate us from Christ's love. The worst circumstances possible. Next word is this. Stress, and the word there is stenochoria and it means a narrow, tight space. Very tight. Very tight. Helplessly hemmed in is a good picture of that. Sometimes we get in the situation where temptations come up. We didn't cause the temptations. They're just There. And we cannot avoid that temptation, whatever that may be. It might be a temptation to be really hurt and angered. Temptations can go on and on. Who knows how many different there are that we battle. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, oh, that's a famous verse. I bet you know that one. But God has a promise. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to be tested. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you'll be able to endure it. To endure through this. A a, a test of some kind, whatever. Uh, Let's say um, a man has... Had a dead end job for a while. He has no hopes for achievement. Now he's getting up into his later 40s and he thought he was going to be promoted and he kept getting denied. And people would get promoted that he knew and get passed over. I've I've known people, you guys probably have to, who deserve to be promoted. They had been there many years. They had the degrees. They had everything that they needed. And somebody else who was only there a couple of years got to move ahead of them. And they were not very good at what they did. You hear of those stories. And yet this man has a wife and a bunch of kids and he needs that money to to live on and the mortgage is there and he's having trouble meeting that. But God fixed his love on that believer, on those believers. God does that. Nothing is going to deprive of our destiny even when the distress happens. That being hemmed in where you can't Seem to get out of this pattern, this mold. I just constantly keep going up against this and I can't run from it. I can't back up. I can't go forward. I can't go to the sides. I'm just here. This is where I'm at. Can people identify with that? Mm-hmm. Distress. That's the idea. Then the word persecution, dioko. It's pursued by someone with the intent of harming you. So this gets down to real nitty-gritty. We know what happens all across the world. We know that there are as many as 600,000 plus who are persecuted or killed, killed, in, in, in the world today who are Christians. Now we're talking about real persecution, even to the point of, of death. John 16, 33. Um, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Second Timothy 3.12 Those those people who desire to be godly will be persecuted. We, we have those promises. It's a blessing, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but uh, to to be persecuted for the Lord's sake. Uh, famine is another one. And that usually results from maybe some kind of persecution. I'm sure they had famine in, in Rome Um Christians can be discriminated uh, against in employment. Uh, maybe they cannot afford to buy enough food to eat. Then the lack of rain can happen to people, and because of the lack of rain, you have failure of crops. When you have failure of crops, uh, people aren't being able to get that food, or then the prices rise. You have earthquakes. You have fires. You have floods. You have war. And out of, out of the result of that, you have famine. There's famine all across the world today, isn't there? But all of this cannot separate us from Christ. And then nakedness. I mean, he just keeps building on this. Wow, well, what's this? This is poverty. So much poverty that you can't get any more... Close. You might have one... Set of clothes on you, and that's it. Economic hard times, natural disasters, or war—that's caused that, and you—you you can't get any more clothes. And we don't know what that's like. All we do is just go down to the—we uh, we look at our closet and we say, "Oh, I'm out of clothes," and you know, it's just full. You know, so we go to the store and pick up a new shirt, and new pants, or whatever, and we do that constantly, right? But uh, boy, we're, we're talking people who have just enough clothes and, you know, to wear, and that's it. Peril is another word, uh, maybe a general word, exposed to danger, uh, treachery, uh, mistreatment. Another word is the sword. That's that can be death. Uh, it means a large dagger here, a symbol of death, execution. Like I said, uh, who knows? There can be hundreds of thousands killed every year for the Christian faith. Um, he uses a quote in thirty-six. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Look in verse 37. But all these things we overwhelmingly we conquer through Him who loved us. People of God are considered to be sheep, right? He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. And do you know what? That verse 37 we overwhelmingly conquer, or we are more than conquerors, or we are super conquerors. The word there, that's the idea that that means it's uh, hyper-Nikelman. Hyper is something that would be super, over and above, to go over, to conquer, right? Uh, and then Nike means to, to have victory or, or conquer, to conquer over and above. What can be imagined? You know, we are super conquerors. Matter of fact, I want to go one better. We are super sheep. How about that one? Yeah, a new superhero movie came out this weekend. Well, we're the super sheep. And we have a super shepherd who is the super sheep. Behold, the Lamb of God, right? Takes away the sin of the world. Conquering sheep, super sheep, and the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world as found in Revelation 13.8. The super conqueror is Jesus Christ. And because of the super conqueror, we are the super sheep. And uh, so, hey, you may not get anything else out of tonight, but you're going to get that super sheep, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I need t t-shirt for this, right? Bookmark. There we go, Marcus. <gasps> uh, we're getting ready to close out. We're, we're done. Martin Luther did a song called A Mighty Fortress. Mm -hmm. We're super conquerors and we're defeating Satan. We go over and above him, don't we? Even though in the flesh, we can't take him on. He said, "This did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Right? Mm-hmm. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. Right? From age to age, the same, and He must win the battle, the conqueror, boy." suit the because of Him. What a beautiful picture that uh, Paul has drawn up and we finish with this. You ready? We're just going to read on through. We're done. For I'm convinced says, after all this and we don't have to elaborate on each word here. I'm convinced. He says, I'm totally persuaded. I know without a doubt that neither death nor life, two words put together, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He took everything that He could, took it to the highest extent that He could, and He says, you can take all of that, I want to tell you, Christ already has conquered that. He conquered death, didn't He? And, and, and life can be cruel, sickness and old age. You guys know about that, right? There's war and there's poverty. And so even in life, life is hard, but even in that, angels, demons, contrasting pairs, present nor future, time is powerless against believers. Height nor depth. He turns from all the human experiences, spiritual powers, time and now. He considers space and uh, what, what he's saying here from the beginning to the end. Nothing. The infinity of space. Nothing will do it. And, and then He just tops it all off and says, nor anything else. <laughs> and that means, yeah, yeah, none, none of that can do that, but people who believe they can lose their salvation say, but you can choose to turn against them. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this covers it. Nor anything else. Even ourselves. And if we could, we would. But He won't let us. That's how great He is. Everything that exists except for God um, now Paul was convinced on sound evidence wasn't he? All oh, the privilege of being a Christian being brothers and sisters together it's exciting can you imagine anything greater than this? Nothing nor height nor depth nor any creative thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord how else better could this amazing chapter end? <laughs> I mean he took us to the highest point Salvation is entirely of God and He will keep us safe until the very end. This hope we have as an anchor, right, of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys for letting me be a part of this, of of your worshiping God. Just letting me come up here and, and... to be able to, to worship God with you. I mean, it really is a privilege. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Millersburg Baptist Church. You guys have been very, very kind to me. And, uh, and I thank Carolyn for coming up and uh, listening to me again. <laughs> talk, talk, talk. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed and so privileged To see where You have put us. This position is high and lofty. I can't even grasp it. And I know it's true. Not because of some subjective thinking in my own heart, but because the objective truth, the evidence of the Word of God and His promises and the Spirit of God who resides in us. And Lord, thank You for these super conquerors that you're working through here at Millersburg, that they would continue to proclaim the gospel, which has been proclaimed right here in Romans 8, that they will continue to do that in all the different ministries that they do with children and uh, and the adults, new new believers and discipling. And uh, just pray that this church, uh, as it's already been blessed, you will continue to overwhelmingly bless this church as they have been faithful in preaching, teaching, proclaiming your word, the gospel of truth and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.